Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 59. Today's class has been sponsored in memory of Mr. Mo Tawel, Alala Shalom, a very special person whose yacht site is today. Moshe Ben Yael, Moshe Me'aliya Kohen, by his family. Also, Sponsored also your site today of Farida Bat Bahia, and uh, also by her family, the Lunishmata, and also in memory of Sam Falik Nisim Ben Sara, also sponsored by Zach Mishan, Zach and Sophia Mishan. Be'ezat Hashem, everything that we learn and the growth that will come from this class will be Le'ilui Nishmatam. Amen. We have been studying. I was started last week actually, studying the subject of sablanut, of patience. Last week we spoke about one area of sablanut, as we'll soon see, there are many different types of sablanut, and we need to identify them because otherwise it will be an empty word that seems very rich but doesn't have much application until we actually identify each area of life that needs sablanut. And last week we identified one of them and that being that we can only create greatness through sablanut. The world was not created was not created in a way that great things happen quickly. The world was created in steps and each person's world will be created in steps. That was last week. This week we're going to go to a different area. In order to start the class, it is best to start with the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat. The Gemara brings a few famous stories that happened with the great rabbis Hillel and Shammai. The Gemara from these stories learns that a person should have the Midah of Savlanut like Hillel and not like Shammai. I'm going to give you one of the stories. It says that once a Goy came and he was passing, excuse me, he was passing behind the Bet Midrash and he heard that they were describing while they were learning the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Beautiful clothing that the Kohen Gadol used to put on. So he asked, who wears these clothing? Halalu lemi. They told him this is for the Kohen Gadol. So the Goy says, you know, let me go and convert. He got very excited by this wardrobe. So much so that he wanted to convert just so he could become a Kohen Gadol. He went to Shammai 
And he told him, please convert me so I can become a Kohen Gadol. So the Gemara says that Shammai pushed him away, knowing very well that he could not be a Kohen Gadol. A convert cannot be a Kohen Gadol. Even a Jew can't be a Kohen Gadol. You have to be a Kohen first to be a Kohen Gadol. He went to Hillel with the same request. And surprisingly, Hillel told him, fine, I'll convert you. Hillel told him, listen, I'm going to convert you. But if you're going to become a Kohen Gadol, you need to learn the rules of being a Kohen. How are you going to be a Kohen Gadol? If you don't even know how to be a Kohen, you have to open and learn the rules. A king cannot rule a country if they don't know the laws. He says, you're right. So he went to the Bet Midrash and he started to learn. He's going to be a Kohen Gadol. And he's learning all the halachot of the korbanot and the kehuna and everything. And then one day while he's learning, he reads the pasuk that says, Vehazar hakarev yumat, which means any stranger who comes to be the Kohen will be put to death. So he asked this pasuk, who was called a stranger? What does that mean, a stranger? So they told him, even David Melech, if he would decide to become a Kohen and start doing Avodah in the Beta Migdash, they would put him to death. Because David Melech is not a Kohen. So the convert realized, he says, one second, if David Melech can't be a Kohen, for sure I cannot be a Kohen. Bottom line is, the Gemara says that this convert, he said to Hillel, Amar lo anvatan Hillel, this humble person Hillel, Yanuhu lecha berachot al roshecha, may all the blessings come upon your head. Shehi kraftani that you brought me close to the Shekhinah. Once they went each other, Hillel, Shammai, and this convert. And the convert said, Shammai's derech almost took me off the derech. While Hillel brought me close. That's one of the famous stories of Hillel and Shammai. And the question is asked, Hillel did an unbelievable thing. He did not push this convert away. Shammai told him, there's no way to do this, goodbye. Hillel brought him closer. But why did Hillel not tell him immediately that while it would be a great idea to be a Jew, as obviously he wanted to become one, 
Why didn't he tell him? But just know you can't. Let's let's learn the pasuk together. Why didn't he open the pasuk with him and learn it? Why did he wait for him to learn it himself? Why put him through the process the way Hillel did? And the lesson is a lesson in Savlanut, and it's not only to Hillel, and it's not only for rabbis, and it's certainly not only for converts. Hillel understood something. Hillel understood that this convert was sincere about his conversion. Obviously, that's why he accepted it. But he also understood that he wasn't yet capable of understanding that he cannot be a Kohen Gadol. He was too excited about the prospect of being a Kohen Gadol that he couldn't hear anything but that he would be so disappointed when he would teach him that he cannot be a Kohen Gadol that he may just put everything aside. So Hillel had this Savlanut. He had the patience to realize that sometimes people are just not ready to hear what you have to say. Even if what you're saying is the truth. Even if what you're saying is inevitable. Even if what you're saying is best for that person. How many times have you said something and it was not received and you looked at yourself and you said, what did I say? Wasn't it right? Of course nobody could argue with what you said. But Hillel is displaying the midah of Savlanut when it comes to others. Others that we care about, like our children. Very often children are not ready to hear what you have to say. It doesn't matter how beautiful you say it, and it doesn't matter how genius you are, or how beautifully worded the words are. They're not ready to hear it for whatever reason. Maybe they're upset. Maybe they're tired. Maybe their friends are around. For whatever the reason, they're not ready to hear it. So it's not so much that you said the wrong thing, is that you didn't have the savlanut to be able to hold on. It's very hard when you have something to say and you need to say it and you know it's important. And you're trying to save every second to make sure you get it in before. It's very hard to carry it till the right time, especially if you're upset. That's for sure a bad time. If you're upset and angry, that's not a good time. Savlanut is what Hillel used to know when is the right time to educate this convert. He's not ready to hear it now, but he was confident that he would hear it if he just calmed down. If he would just start learning and understanding things in a better way, he would hear it and he would accept it and he would have no problem with it. not only for children, it's for all people that we care about. It's in all relationships. In every relationship, 
that we have, if it's a meaningful relationship, there has to be an element of being able to tell the other person or teach the other person something that's going to be beneficial to them. Any relationship that doesn't have that is not a real relationship. But if you don't have sablanut, you won't be able to teach your children, you won't be able to teach your students, you won't be able to give advice to your husband or to your wife, you won't be able to help your friends, not because you don't know the answer and not because you don't know how to say it. Because you're lacking sablanut. You can't carry something with you. You're too nervous. You need to get it off your mind. You need to say it. We've all been in that situation and will continue to be. The genius of Hillel was not his, his genius ideas. It was his sablanut. He got the message across at the right time. It may have taken months. I don't know how long it was after the story happened from the beginning. We find a similar story with Hillel, the famous story of the convert that said he wanted to convert on condition that he learns the entire Torah standing on one foot. And of course, Shammai pushed him away because that's impossible. Who can argue with that? People live lifetimes and don't even cover a small percentage of Torah. And that if they, that's even if they learn day and night. And this man wants to learn it all on one leg. Impossible. Hillel told him, let me teach you. I will be able to do it. He gave him the principle, as you know, of whatever you don't like done to yourself, don't do unto others. And he told him, the rest is an explanation. Go out and learn the rest. It's going to explain this. What was Hillel doing there? What was the point of that? Again, Hillel saw a sincere person who was just ignorant. Anybody who asks to learn the entire Torah standing on one leg is an ignorant person. They're not a bad person. They just don't understand. So Hillel understood that you have to be patient with him. You don't need to push him away. He's not a bad person. But he just needs to take it one leg at a time. Explain him something and then tell him to learn it. And as he learns it, he'll be able to understand it. Savlanut was the difference. We have no idea how many people today in our nation have been broken by parents meaning, well-meaning parents that wanted only good for their children, but they broke their children because they put on them too heavy of a package too early when they weren't ready. It's such a chokhmah to be able to teach, but not to put too much burden where the person gets destroyed. It's such a fine line because you can't sit back and not teach and not instruct. Doing that is obviously not what we're supposed to be doing. But there comes a point where it's too heavy. They're not ready for it. And there's no age for this because every person is different and every situation is different. Some children may be ready to learn when they're 12 years old. 
Their friends are learning and finishing and doing, and some are not ready. And very often the parent sees the other child, he's doing it, and they put all types of pressure on a child that's not yet ready. And if they're not yet ready, then what we're doing is not educating, we're breaking the person. Lacking savlanut can destroy people for a very long time. Of course, pressure is good. Of course, we need pressure to grow. You can't just leave a child to grow on their own. A little pressure, even a lot of pressure, is sometimes good. But when it becomes too heavy, when it becomes bitter on the child, then we burn the child out. We must be careful to have savlanut. They're not ready yet. It could be a student that you're teaching. They're not ready to hear the truth. Sometimes a person will say, well, why don't you tell them the truth? Because they're not ready to hear the truth. They need a little more time to understand why they need to hear the truth. Every person who cares about another person must be mindful of the other person's abilities and where they are and try to give them what they can handle. Savlanut, the midah of Hillel, and the midah of any great person who wants to influence others, especially their family. It's like a tree. Imagine planting a tree. How much savlanut you have to have for that tree to grow. We're not used to that today. We don't live in such a world. But farmers of old, and even today's farmers, that never changed, they would plant and they would just have to wait and wait and wait. They actually never saw the tree grow even once. They just come back every little bit and there's something else that happened. Could you imagine the farmer puts pressure on the tree to come out? Could you imagine what would happen if he starts pulling it out with his hand? He would destroy the tree forever. There would never be a tree. The way tree, trees grow is one step at a time. You try to do it too fast, you lose your tree. It is that way not only in teaching, it is that way in relationships. Sometimes when people are dating, they want things to happen instantly. Whether what they're looking for needs to happen instantly, or what they're looking from the other side, they're looking that it should happen instantly. They should go out once or twice or three times, and it should be magic, and it's over from then. And if it's not magic for me, and if it's not magic for you, then it's wrong. That's called lacking savlanut. Obviously, there are situations where it's clear that it's not for each other. That's obvious. But sometimes it's not so clear. But we just lack the patience. And sometimes it's one side that likes the other, and the other one is not saying no, but they're not ready yet. I one time had an experience with somebody. I can't say he was a very smart person, but I don't think he's the only one. So basically he went out with a girl six or seven times, and he liked her very much, and he was ready to go to the next step. One day he came in, he was very frustrated. I told him what happened. I thought she broke up with him. He says, I can't take it anymore. So what happened? 
He says, this girl is perfect. We're perfect for each other. But she's not ready to go to the next step. I said, so? What's the problem? Is she saying no to you? No. I said, so continue. He said, well, what's going to happen? I said, maybe the next time you go out, then she'll like you. Relax. So what does this guy do? Next date, he goes on the date. After the date, so, are you ready to come in now? <laughs> he did that on the next day, and the next day. He did it for four dates in a row. He didn't tell me in between. He told me after. Now it's 11 dates. I said, what happened? Same story, he tells me. Same, it's 11 dates, nothing happened? He said, tell me what happened on these dates. And he's telling me what he did. I told him, you know, you're, you're tipesh. <laughs> I told him, I said, you know what you like? So you like a guy who needs to bake in a hot oven. So he needs the oven to get hot. So he puts it on 400 degrees. And every 10 seconds, he opens the oven to see if it heated up yet. I said, it's never going to get hot. You keep opening the oven. Relax. But that's called a lack of patience. You got to give people space. Just be patient. You don't have to have everything done quickly. This is the sablanut of Hillel, knowing how to deal with another person who is not yet ready. But I want to focus today on the third story. The third story that's brought down in Masechet Shabbat, not in that order, it's actually the first one that's brought is a story of a guy who comes to Shammai and he tells him, how many Torot, how many Torahs do you have? So Shammai told him, we have two. We have the written Torah, that's the Sefer Torah, and we have the oral Torah, that's all these books and much more. Amar lo, this guy tells Shammai, I believe you when we have about the Torah that's written. The written Torah, I believe. The oral Torah, I don't believe. Please convert me so I can keep the written Torah. That's it. Of course, you know what Shammai did. Yamara says, He yelled at him. And tell him, get out of here. <laughs> now, the truth, he's right. Because the, the halakha says, interesting halakha, that if a goy comes to convert, and he says, I want to keep every mitzvah perfectly. Every mitzvah in the Torah. Except one mitzvah, I have a hard time with it. I can't take it upon myself. Let's say he's having trouble with the mitzvah of sha'atnez. He loves wearing sha'atnez. What can he do? It's a very big desire to wear wool and linen together. He can't. He loves it. He says, I cannot, I cannot take the mitzvah of sha'atnez on. I love sha'atnez. Okay. I'm trying to be funny, but you understand. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't make a difference. Any mitzvah. Any mitzvah, it's hard for him. 
I can't do basar behalav. I can't do this. What's the halacha? Now, by the way, many Jews are Jewish and they don't keep many halachot, but they're Jewish. But when it comes to a convert, if they say we're going to do everything except one, then we can't convert them. It's not a conversion. They must take the entire package. So this goy wants to do only Torah Shebikhtab. Forget about it. He's basically erasing most of Shoharuch, most of Judaism. There's no way we can accept him to be a convert. He goes to Hillel, he tells him the same story, and Hillel accepts him. One day, the Gemara says, Hillel is teaching him. First thing, the first lesson is, he told him, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, he's teaching him the Aleph, Bet. The next day, he came back for lesson number two. Now he says, Tav, Shin, Resh, backwards. He teaches him a Tav, that's an Aleph. The Resh is a Bet. He tells him, one second, yesterday, you taught me the opposite. You, you told me that was the Aleph. Now you're saying, this is the Aleph? That was the Bet. What, what are you talking about? Amarlo, Hillel told him, Love alai didi kasamach. So you rely on me? Are you relying on me to teach you Aleph and Bet? Once you rely on me for Aleph and Bet, you're asking me, didn't he teach me that yesterday? So rely on me also when I tell you there's an oral Torah. And again, the Sablanut of Hillel. So I want to ask you a question. And this is Rashid's question. Allah shalom on this story. How did Hillel go against the halacha? How did Hillel convert somebody that was not willing to accept the entire Torah? Was Hillel a person who compromised the mitzvot of the Torah? Is that what it means to have savlanut? You should know compromise and savlanut can easily be confused. Was Hillel compromising the truth? Says Rashi, no. Rashi says Hillel saw that this was a sincere person. And he wasn't a bad person that didn't believe because he wanted not to believe. He just didn't know. So Hillel was comfortable that if he would convert him and he would teach him, he would be able to get through to him. And therefore, he went through with the conversion. Savlanut is not compromise. If we see someone doing something wrong and we don't say anything, it could be our own children sometimes, one of the biggest, biggest secrets of Hinuch is not to see when children are doing wrong. Try not to know too much about what they're doing wrong. It's not good to see too much. It's good to know, but it's not good to see. Not to let them know that you see. Savlanut doesn't mean you compromise. When you see and you don't say anything, oh, it looks like you're compromising the truth. Shouldn't you step in and tell all your students right now that this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing? 
Is patience equal compromising the truth? And their answer is absolutely not. Patience does not mean you compromise the truth. Patience is actually a person who believes very much in what they're teaching. But they toler- they have the tolerance to carry the person till the person is ready. I'll give you a story that happened with me. Some years ago, not that long ago, I spoke somewhere, not in the community, and somebody came over to me after and says, you know, I like you. I said, it's very nice of you. Thank you. I like you too. I thought I'm married already. So. He says, you know, I see you're an open-minded person. I see that you like to know both sides. You respect all opinions. He says, you're not like those people that throw rocks at those who are mehalel Shabbat. So I told him, you're making a mistake. I said, I also throw rocks. He says, you throw rocks at mehalel Shabbat? I said, the Torah says, that if a person is mehalel Shabbat, that was halacha that Hashem gave to Moshe Rabbeinu when they found a Jew that was mehalel Shabbat. They didn't know what to do with him. And the Pasuk says, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, a Jew mehalel Shabbat. It's hard for the American ear to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. A Jew mehalel Shabbat. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Mot yumat, ragom oto ba'avanim. You gotta take rocks and you kill the person so that he has at least maybe a better olam haba. He's not mehalel shabbat anymore. Done? I said, I also throw rocks. What does that mean? He says, you throw rocks today? You've thrown rocks at people on mehalel shabbat? I told them, in principle, I throw rocks. But only if it helps. I said, if it would help this Jew that I should throw rocks at his car on Shabbat, and that would help him be a Shomer Shabbat, I would throw rocks. So I, if I throw rocks at a person so that he shouldn't speak Lashon Hara anymore, I would do it. If I could throw rocks at somebody that he will no longer steal, I would do it. I said, I don't throw rocks because it doesn't help. We don't live in a generation that throwing rocks is going to have any positive outcome. In fact, if anything, it will just go the other way. Instead of helping the person that you're trying to help, but he'll go backwards. Savlanut doesn't mean I don't throw rocks. Savlanut means I understand when to throw the rock and what kind of rock. That's Savlanut. Savlanut doesn't mean I compromise. 
Sadhanut is a strength, is the ability to carry. Because you love someone, you care for someone, it's important to you, but yet you just hold on because the person is not yet ready. I remember years ago, and this was not necessarily done on purpose, I can't say I was so strong, maybe I didn't care enough, I don't know which one, because it could easily be confused, and I'll explain in a minute, that carelessness and tolerance are easily confused. American society prides itself on tolerance. There's not a lot of tolerance in this country. It's not true. What they are is careless. You see, tolerance means that I care very much about what you're doing. It hurts me to see you do what you do. I know it's destructive to you and to your family, but because you're not ready to hear, so I need to be strong and I need to keep quiet. That's called tolerance. Careless means I don't care about anything. When you don't care about anything, that's not called tolerant. That means you're careless. We live in a careless society. It doesn't matter what you do in the society. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you act. It doesn't matter what you do. Nothing matters. They say to each his own, live and let live. Live and let live is against every fabric of value of the Torah. There's no such thing for a Jew as live and let live. Rather, we have live and help live. There's no such thing as letting people live. So what do you think? You're Shomer Shabbat, right? Yes, of course. So what do you think of a person that next door neighbor is not Shomer Shabbat? What do you think of that person? Oh, you know, to each his own. I'm a very tolerant person. No, that is not called tolerance. That's called you don't care either. Either you don't care about Shabbat or you don't care about the person, or you don't care about both. To each his own means, I don't care about you, or I don't care about the subject. But if you cared about your neighbor, and you cared about Shabbat for your neighbor, then it would hurt you very much. Shabbat, it kills me every time I see my neighbor. It kills me when I see them destroying their life like this. So how come you're not saying anything? Why not throwing rocks through the windows? Because they're not ready to hear. My rocks today is, I go out on Shabbat, I say Shabbat Shalom. Mm -hmm. Enjoy your Shabbat. That's the rock that I can throw today. I don't have another rock today. Tolerance only comes into play when you're bothered, when you care about something. A tolerant society has to have strong values before they can declare their tolerance. If you don't care, you're not tolerant, you're careless, and that's nothing to be proud of. I was saying years ago, not maybe 10 years ago, I was learning with somebody, and I knew he was Mehalil Shabbat. I knew in every way. For some reason, we were learning together. 
And I never brought it up one time to him. I don't know if I did it out of Savzanut. I don't think. Probably I was scared to tell him something. That he would stop learning with me or something. But whatever it is, I didn't tell him. I just left it. I didn't feel he would really get anything from that conversation. But every time we learn, there's a little bit extra kedusha in his soul. And every time we learn, and it wasn't three, four months, where he came to me and says, you know, what do you think of me keeping Shabbat? What do I think of him keeping Shabbat? That's the question. Imagine I would tell him the first lesson. Okay, you know, you got to keep Shabbat. Otherwise, we really, you know, what are we learning for? It's the right message, but it's the wrong time. Savlanut. Savlanut means I have strong values. I believe in my values. I care for you, but I'm so strong. I have such strength of tolerance that I'm able to ignore what you're doing because it's not time yet. Where do we learn this savlanut, this type of savlanut, to carry people despite their wrongdoing? How do we, what do we learn that from? If we look in the Midrash, the Midrash says that when Hashem came to create the world, He gathered the angels and He asked them advice what their opinion is about this new creation. Should He create the world? Is it worthwhile to make this world and mankind? Or is it not worthwhile? This is a gathering of God with His angels. Now before we even get to the conversation, just the gathering itself is such an unbelievable piece of advice. Could you imagine the creator of the world gathering angels he created to ask them his advice? Excuse me, to ask them their advice? How to advise him? What do we learn from that? We learn a very important principle in life. That you always ask advice. And by the way, when you ask advice, it's not always because you need to hear the other opinion. Clearly, Hashem didn't need to hear their opinion. He knew what He was going to do. So why did He ask them for advice? I'm going to give you an example of the Torah in this in the story that shows why Hashem would ask. Hashem tells Yaakov Avinu, after he was 20 years by Lavan, it's time to go home. He tells him, Shuv el Eretz Avotecha, Go back to your parents. Go back to your country. Clear. Nothing to talk about. When Yaakov goes to his wives and he says to them, you would think, these righteous women, all you have to say is, God told me, let's go home. That's what I would have done. Pack the bags. I'll tell you later why we're packing. I don't know. It's, Hashem said, Done. If Hashem said, what's the question? Yet Yaakov Avinu tells his wives, you know, you know how hard I work for your father. You know how much misirut nefesh I gave, how much sacrifice, how honest I was. 
You know how your father's been cheating me? He laughs at me. He makes fun of me. He hasn't been smiling to me. And on and on and on. About how he really, sh they don't belong here. And only at the end, he tells his wives, and by the way, God told me that we should leave. Why would he do that? Why would Yaakov talk to his wives as if they're making a decision together? If Hashem already said, the answer is that sometimes in life it's appropriate to get advice of people. Even if you know you're going to do what you're going to do. Because you want them to buy in. You want them to be part of it. You want them to feel important and that they're an important part of the decision. At the end of the day, they have to move their children, move their family. move. It's hard. If you can get them to buy in, it's worthwhile to ask advice. Not always you have to ask for advice, but it actually pays for two reasons. One, because you actually learn a lot when you ask advice. And number two, you get people to be together with you instead of saying, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Sometimes you have to do that too. But there are times in life where it's worthwhile to ask advice. Anyway, Hashem says to the angels, tell me, is it worthwhile to create this world? The Midrash says that Chesed came. The Midah of Chesed, the Malach of Kindness came and says, of course, what an idea. Wow, creator of the world, gorgeous, love it. You know how much kindness humans are going to do after you create them? You know how many people they're going to save? How many people they're going to heal? How many people they're going to teach? How much charity they're going to give? They're going to take care of their children? They're going to... The amount of kindness that's being produced in this world daily is unbelievable. Of course, says Hazed, my vote, absolutely, yes. Comes Emet, says God is not a good idea. Not a good idea. These people, how many lies? You know how much sheker there's going to be in this world from these people? You're going to fill your world with liars and shakranim and thieves and all types of deceit. Not worth it. You have a beautiful, beautiful world. What are you messing it up for? Not worth it. Says the Midrash, Hesed ve'emet nifgashu. The Pasukim Tehilim. Tzedek came, Tzedek came. Oh, you know how much tzedakah they're going to do? Yes, vote. I vote to create the world. Shalom came and says, Borei not worth it. These people, all they do is fight. They fight with their husband. They fight with their children. They fight with their parents. Their neighbors don't even talk about that. They're always fighting. Every shul is fighting. Every place is fighting. Not worth it. Midrash says, while this is going on, Hashem tells them, while you are arguing, I already created the world. <coughs> this, in other words, in other words, there's no answer to this argument. There's, 
there's nothing to do. This argument can go on forever. We'll have these angels say, great, and these are no way. In one hand, how could you not create the world? How could you not create the world? On the other hand, how could you create the world? And this is an argument that has no end. Hashem says, while you're arguing, I already made the world. I see there's no end to this. But what's the answer? What is the answer? The answer is, that the world as we see it, is not complete. The only thing the angels were missing was Hashem's sablanut. That Hashem would be able to create a world that has so much good in it and be able to carry the rest until the world will get to its perfect state. It's going to take a long time, take many years, thousands of years. Hashem says, I need to carry all of that until we get to where we need to get. What we call tikkun olam, the world will be a perfect place. Not gonna happen very quickly, but I'm going to carry it. That's what the Mishnah says in Perkei Avot. Asara Dorot, there were 10 generations from Adam until Noah. They were not great people, but Hashem allowed them to exist until the Mabul came. And he saved only Noah and his family. Says the Mishnah. And then from Noah to Abraham, 10 generations. Says the Mishnah, Lehodia, to teach you, Kama erech apayim, how patient the Creator is. Shekola They were all not worth it. Until a star came out, Abraham Avinu. And he made it all worthwhile. Hashem carried 20 generations of people. That's a long time. Sometimes we carry a person for five minutes and we feel that we're, we're so powerful. Hashem carried 20 generations, thousands of years of people that were not worthy of the creation being for them. Just so someone like Abraham Avinu, can sprout out. In fact, Hazal tell us that the zechut of Lot, why did Hashem save Lot from Sodom? We know Hashem destroyed Sodom, and Lot was a big man in Sodom. He should have been right there with them to be destroyed. Why did he get saved? The Midrash says, that he got saved because he had two giants that will come from him in the future. One of them is known to all of us. Her name is Ruth. Ruth is from the great-grandchildren of Lot. Lut, Ruth is the great woman who built the dynasty of David Melech and all of the kings. This is Ruth that came from Lot. Hashem saves Lot only for the future. And another great woman, Naamah Amonit. Because of these great women, Lot was saved. That's called Sablanut. Being able to tolerate 
even when it doesn't look great because it's not time because there's not much that you can do yet because maybe something will come in the future there's all different reasons why we need to have sablanut with the people around us and with this we can explain a very difficult question as you know the times between Pesach and Shavuot are called the Sfirat HaOmer. The days Sfirat HaOmer, we count HaOmer. These days are all days leading up to Matan Torah. When we left Mitzrayim, that was leaving the physical bondage of Egypt. And then we needed preparation 49 days to prepare ourselves for Matan Torah. The custom in Am Yisrael till today is that in those days, we are focused on midot, on character refinement. We learn perkei avot. We learn musar. We learn musar all the time. But especially in those days, every yeshiva in the world is extra focused on those days, on character refinement, on your anger, on your patience, on your kindness, on your everything. In fact, some learn there's 48 different characteristics that we had one mentioned before. Every day they would learn one as preparation for Matan Torah. Before you can accept the Torah, you need to refine yourself first. That's what we do between Pesach and Shavuot. We know that the days of Pesach and Shavuot, for the first month, it's a time of mourning for our people. We mourn the loss of Rabbi Akiva's students, 24,000 students that perished during that time period. Hard to imagine that Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, first of all, it's hard to imagine a yeshiva of 24,000 students. Today we have big yeshivas, but 24,000 students in one yeshiva we don't have. And Rabbi Akiva lost them all during this time period. Very hard to imagine such a thing. Hazal asked, why? Why would that happen? What's going on? So of course you know the reason they give. They didn't give honor to one another. They didn't respect each other. And the questions are obvious. How could Rabbi Akiva's students not respect each other. Rabbi Akiva is one of the greatest men that ever lived on this planet. How could his students not respect each other? Rabbi Akiva is the champion of It's a, such an important, critical rule in the Torah to love another Jew. And his students failed miserably in this area. How could that be? Another big question is, how could it be that it happened during this time? The time when everybody's working on their character refinement, on how to give kavod to the other person, how to respect others, how to talk to others. How could it be during this time? Maybe if you told me in the summer, they were like checked out because it's Ben Azmanim after the learning of an entire year, it took a few weeks and then they lost it. I get it. But the time after Pesach, 
that is the most intense time in the yeshiva world for musar and character refinement. That's the time they all perished? How could that be? So I'm going to give you a rule. This is a critical rule. Here's the rule. The rule in life is that there's a pitfall in greatness. Every time you get great in something, there is a pitfall waiting for you. It's not like you imagined that when you go up and up and up, 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 and it's just beauty forever after. It's not like that. When you hit greatness, there's a major hole waiting for you. It's waiting for you. Imagine you work your whole life to get to somewhere big in any area. And as you hit the top, there's this big hole that if you fall in it, you've destroyed much more than you could have imagined. You have to be aware of that hole. It's there. What is the pitfall of greatness? So I'm going to give you a rule. The rule is that any area in life that a person is good at, especially if they made themselves good at it, any area in life that you excel at, especially if you earned and you made that for yourself, you become super sensitive to that area when it comes to others. So for example, let's say you worked on your kindness and your charity giving, and you got to the point where charity is flying out the door. You look for people to help. You're just writing checks left and right. You just want to help every needy person you can. And you're giving not 10%, you're giving 25%. You're giving 30% of your earnings. When you see a guy who doesn't like to write a check, it makes you crazy. If you were a person who decided they're never going to talk again in the Bet Knesset. Makes sense. Talking to Hashem. Why would you talk to other people? So, you took it upon yourself. That's it. I talk to Hashem only in this building. And you got to the point where you never, ever speak unless you're talking to God. And all of a sudden, you hear whispering in the back. It makes you crazy. How could they? Any area in life that a person excels at, they become very sensitive. If you're a person who doesn't waste time, any time you have, you're helping, you're learning, you're doing. And you see a person sitting around, can't take it. Anything, any quality, any act that you're involved in, if you get better at it, here you are, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. You never used to learn Torah, now you're learning Torah. You're not just learning Torah, you use every minute to learn Torah. And you see a guy sitting around, doing nothing. Can't believe it. What's with this guy? 
Tzniyut, same. You worked yourself. You're working. You're working. You're working. You get there. You become this unbelievable, modest woman. Proud of your accomplishments. You become so sensitive when people aren't Tzniyut. It bothers you so much more. Because anything you excel at, you become sensitive to that area when you see others. And where is the pitfall? The pitfall is you start to belittle other people. You say, this guy, ah, he's a zero. Now you're not a zero because you spoke in shul. not a zero. You may be missing things. You're not a zero. But in your eyes, he said, nobody. He's not worthy of kabod. Look at the way he is in shul. That guy doesn't give charity? Zero. Not worthy of respect. When we speak about him, it's always negative. That's the way you react. There is the pitfall. You get to the top, 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 and all of a sudden, you bring everybody else down. These are the words of the Havot Levavot. The Havot Levavot discusses how the Yetzirah has so many tactics. He says he'll never leave you. No matter what you do and what you accomplish, he's always waiting for you. He says a person who reaches great heights of service of God, unbelievable, becomes a gadol. He says, the Yetzirah tells you, ah, so proud of you. Kevar Higata, you have reached you are from the greatest people. Look how great you are. Look how special you are. Look at the way you pray. Nobody prays like you. Look at the way you keep Shabbat. Nobody's like you. Look at the way you give charity. There's no one like you. Don't you see? You're one of a kind in this generation. Nobody in this time is someone like you. It's appropriate for you. To constantly remind yourself and others how much greater you are than them. Make sure you're always reminding them how special you are and how they're under you. Because you're so special, they need to know it. He says, Every time you see one of these people that are obviously not like you because you're the greatest, so anytime you see them, just belittle them. So these guys, ah, nothing, zeros. Worthless, low, all types of words that you'll use. Vetaskir et raotehem. Always talk about their bad. Whenever someone asks you, "How is this person?" Oh, you don't know. I'm disgusted from them. Utfarsem et roa levavam. Always make sure everybody knows 
how bad they are. Embarrass them. And go give them rebuke. Because it's your job. You're the greatest person in this generation. You need to make sure these people who are so low, they need to wake up. And he gives you Pesukim, he says. He'll bring you from Tanakh. Who's talking? The Yetzirah is talking. When you get high in life, in spiritual accomplishment, you have a big hole waiting for you. The hole is called, I am so great, and everybody is just horrible. And I will make sure everyone knows that. And the way I speak, the way I talk about them, the way I talk to them, the way I ignore them. One of the great pitfalls of greatness is to belittle the people who aren't as good as you in any specific area. This explains what happened to the Akiva students. It's because they were so great that this happened to them. People ask, how could this happen to them? They were so great. It's because they were so great. And how could it happen during this time when everybody's becoming greater? No, no. It's because everybody who's so great is becoming greater. Do you imagine what happened to each student in the yeshiva that year? You know, you can't change everything in 49 days. It's not working. Usually every year, you take something. One student says, you know, I got to work on my zerizut. I, I just take it easy too much. Maybe I'm a little lazy. Now I'm going to work on my zerizut. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to be the first guy in the minyan. I'm going to be the first guy learning. I'm going to be the first guy getting the Rosh Hashiva's book. I'm going to be the first guy helping the guy at lunch. Zerizut. That's my thing this year. And imagine if it's Rabbi Akiva student working on zerizut. Guy's climbing the ladder of Zerizut. Another guy, he's working on his being on time. He keeps his word. If I say something, I'm going to do it exactly. I don't want to keep anybody waiting. It's not respectful. That's his item. Emet. Midat Emet. He's working on Emet. He's working on Zerizut. The other guy's working on humility. That guy's working on his tefillah. That guy's working on his chesed. One guy's working on his kibbutz avayim. So you have a whole yeshiva of each guy is taking something and he's flying with it. You know what happens after a few days when you start flying with zerizut? You start realizing everybody around you is so lazy. A bunch of lazy bums. You're the, you're the first guy in the Bet Knesset till the guy walks in a half hour later. That's called praying. You're sitting there first guy, starting to learn. Guy an hour later walks in. What kind of, what kind of guy is this? That's a yeshiva guy. Guys, doing kibbut avaim on the highest level. Sees one person with his father and mother. What is that? specifically because they were so great and specifically because they were doing it in the height of the year 
they're accomplishing so much in this area. And they're looking around them. The people aren't measuring up. How can I give kavod to someone who doesn't give charity? How? How can I give kavod to someone who's always light? How can I give honor to someone who's this or that or this? Wherever you are, you're great in any area, you should be proud of it. You should be proud of what you've earned for yourself. But be careful of the whole. The whole of the Yitzhah is to get you to take all that greatness and put it in the mud by using it as a way to shoot other people and as a way to belittle other people and not to have respect for people. That's what happened to Rabbi Akiva students. We asked, how could these great people do that? No, no, it's because they were great. That is the pitfall of greatness. There's such a beautiful, beautiful proof to this in the Torah. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I've, I don't think I've ever heard it. I saw it in a book written by a great man, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, but he points at something so beautiful. He says, if you open up Parashat Vayera, we all know Parashat Vayera comes, we know exactly what the rabbi is going to speak about that Shabbat. It's going to be about kindness, because that's what's on display. The amazing kindness of Abraham Avinu. And so many aspects are broken down. His old age, the way he ran after, the way he served them, the details, the, all the beautiful things that go on in that parasha. This man was hospitality on the top of the charts. Hachnasat orhim, who could even measure to such a person? That's what's described in Parashat Vayera. We all know that. What's amazing though is, right after that parasha, the Torah tells us about the story with Lot and how the angels went to visit Sedom and Lot took them in, into his house and the people of Sedom finding out that a person is willing to take guests into his house, that's against the laws of Sedom. We don't help people here. I'm sure they had a good reason for it. They were a very wealthy country. They said, if we allow people to come in as guests, people are going to come from all over the world. They're going to suck out all of our money. We can't do this. And Lot brings them in, and they want to violate them. They want to kill Lot. They, they're surrounding the house. Disaster. You can't imagine. Nobody here is like Abraham Avinu. And nobody here is like Sedom. We can't imagine Abraham and we can't imagine Sedom. Two polar opposites. A man who's on the highest level of Hachnasat Orhim and a city and a country that's on the absolute lowest level imaginable. That they punish people by death if they bring in guests. And where do these two find each other in the Torah? Right next to each other. The story of Abraham and the story of Sedom. Says Rav Kamenetsky, why? Why are they next to each other? 
And he says such a beautiful thing. He says, because the Torah wants us to realize and to highlight the greatness of Abraham Avinu. You know, we know Abraham Avinu's greatness. He was a great intellectual. He found God himself. Abraham is the one who stood for the truth. Doesn't matter how many people were against him. Abraham Ha'ivri. Abraham was the one who taught and brought so many people closer to the Creator. Abraham was the great Baal Hesed. Abraham had tremendous midot as we see how he dealt with Ephron. Abraham was the great father. Hashem chose him and says, I love you because you're going to be a great father to your children and grandchildren. It says Rabbi Yaakov, here the Torah wants us to see another great side of Abraham Avinu. Here's Abraham Avinu holding up the torch of kindness and hachnasat orchim. He's not only doing it with all of his might, he's teaching it. He's preaching it. Everywhere he goes, that's what he's teaching. And who's his arch enemy in this area? Sedom. They're teaching everything opposite. And now Abraham hears that Sedom is going to get destroyed. What would you do? You would say, Baruch Hashem. Finally. Hashem, what took you so long? I'm struggling with these people for so many years. And what does Abraham do? He goes and pleads. Please, Hashem, maybe, maybe there's a way to save them. Maybe there's a way we can figure out a kav zechut for them. How much pleading? How much? It got to the point, listen to these words. It got to the point where he says to Hashem, Vayomer, al har ladonai. Please, Hashem, don't be upset with me. Va'adabera, so I could say one more time. Please, I know I tried this, you said no. I tried that, you said no. I tried this, you said no. Please, don't get angry with me. Just one more time. When you tell someone, don't angry with me, it means you've done things to make him angry. Abraham is pleading for who? For the people who in Havot Levavot, the one we just read, would tell you these people, these low lives, these people should be dead. These people don't deserve to live. These people are the worst of the worst. They're the lowest of the lowest. Havot Levavot, if he got Abraham Avinu, that's what Abraham Avinu would think about these people. And if Hashem would say, I'm destroying them, it would be great. But Abraham Avinu did not fall into the hole of greatness. He did not get up there and start looking at everybody like they're zeros. In fact, he's pleading to save them. Maybe there's a way to help them. Maybe they're not that bad. Maybe they're gettable. That's why the Torah put them next to each other. To show you that the greatness of Abraham Avinu did not affect him when it came to the way he viewed others and how he respected others. In fact, we see Abraham in that story of kindness, how sensitive he was to other people. We see how much he did for these three guests. 
They went baking. They slaughtered three cows. They did everything. He did everything himself. He's running him and his wife. And then, when it got to serving them water, something so odd happens. It says, Yukahna me'at main. Please, bring a little bit of water. Why when it came to water, it was only a little bit. Everything was a lot. Hazal tell us that the water he didn't get himself. He told somebody else to get it. He sent a shaliyah, a messenger. He didn't want to be overbearing on the messenger. You want to slaughter three cows for your guest? Hazaku Baruch. Beautiful. That's beautiful. But he doesn't have to do that. He has to give them the minimal amount of water that they need. You can't demand of people to be like you. Abraham understood that even though I'm great, surely Abraham understood how great he was. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. But that was not the stepping stone to step on others. And he didn't expect everyone to be like him in that greatness. And he understood. Just because I do a lot, it doesn't mean you have to do a lot. Yukahna me'at ma'im. Being able to see others through your lens, even though you're great. Just want to end off by telling you, how do you do that? How do you have such sablanut? How do you excel at something and become so good at something? How do you love your Shabbat? How do you experience your Shabbat week after week and you appreciate it and then you see your neighbor and you don't look down on them? How? How is that possible? Now remember, now remember, if somebody would ask you, what do you think of the neighbor with Mahalal Shabbat? The right answer is, I hate it. I hate it. I can't deal with it. It's killing me. But he's a good guy. Hazid. He doesn't know. He doesn't realize. There are some people in the world Rishayim. There are not too many around us. You don't have to assume people are Rishayim. The assumption should be they're good people. They're just ignorant. That's all. They don't know better. Where they grow up, what they learn, what they know. He has anger issues. He has all types of issues. Of course it bothers me. But, but I don't look at him as a zero. He's a beautiful person. How do you develop such savlanut? To reach greatness in one area, in two areas, in four areas, in ten areas, and yet give respect to people as if they're also special. How do you do that? How do you have that patience and that tolerance? So I'm going to give you a little trick. The trick is what the Ramban writes in his famous letter to his son. The Ramban writes to his son, Vekol Adam, just imagine this, every person you meet, call Adam, he tells his son, every person, you name any person, that's it. Call every person. In your eyes, they should be, in your eyes, 
You should view them as greater than you. Stop. How? What does that mean? How could it? I know I do certain things better than you. So what does that mean? I'm imagining that you're greater than me. You're not greater than me. I do this. I do that. You don't do it. Are we being asked to be blind and not to see what people do or not realize what we do? We're not supposed to know that we do great things. I learn Torah 10 hours a day. You don't learn ever. Oh, but you're greater than me. How could that be? What does that mean? I'm giving charity all day long. You don't give a dollar. Oh, you're so much greater than me. What am I, living a lie? I, I don't know you. I don't know me. What, what am I doing here? What kind of attitude is that? Aren't we supposed to live emet? Aren't we supposed to live a life of truth? How could we expect someone to look at every guy in the street? Call Adam. Every guy. Go on the subway. Every guy. Oh, that guy. Much greater than I am. Really? How could you do that? How is it possible? Isn't that living a lie? Call Adam. Every person you will see now. So, wow. They're greater than me. So, I'm going to tell you the answer. There are a few answers. I'll tell you two answers. Number one. We definitely excel in a lot of areas in life. And the more areas we excel at, the greater we become. What usually happens when we meet another person, even for a second, is we measure the person to ourselves. So for example, if I'm a charitable, kind, Shabbat observing person, so when I see the other person, so I say, oh, are they charitable, kind, Shabbat observing? How do they measure up to me? In that system, you're going to have a lot of problems. But there's another system. The other system is to know that probably every person you've ever met has something very special about them that's probably better than you. No matter how many good things you have, probably every person you ever met has something that is better than you. If you would learn to look to compare yourself to that person, it's a whole different story. You say, oh, that person, they're so calm. I mean, they don't give charity, they don't keep Shabbat, they don't, but they're so calm. In that area, forget about it. They're greater than I am. Instead of measuring ourselves, excuse me, others to us, we need to measure us to others. Because then we'll be able to see the good in others. If you're looking to measure others to yourselves, you're always going to find the negative. But if you're looking to measure yourself to others, you will see things in others that you say, you know what, I wish I had that. And if you'll tell me, I found a person that has nothing. Zero. Nothing to look up to. I will tell you, there's something to look up to. Because probably that person grew up somewhere that he had no normal parents or no parents at all. 
He probably grew up in a house that you didn't grow up in, in a community you didn't grow up in. The person is ignorant, never learned. And for all that he had, or actually for the very little that they had, they do pretty good compared to you. You grew up in a house, your father's a rabbi. Your grandpa was a chief rabbi. You went to yeshiva. You've been going to classes every single week, twice or three times or more. You go to shul every day to pray. You're surrounded by Torah and mitzvot. And that's all you came up with? That's it? With all of what God gave you, that's all you can come up with? That's the best cake you can make with all the ingredients they gave you? That guy, he had no ingredients. Nothing, zero. He grew up on the street. Compared to what he got, he made something. Something to be respected for. That's what the Ramban is telling his son. Call Adam. Every person, you could look at them and realize that they have something that is greater than you. And he says, he says, if you're a hacham, you're a wise person and he's ignorant he says Hashov ki ata hayav mimenu vehu zakah he's better than you you know why sheimu hoteh because if he does something wrong he doesn't know he's hazid veata you've been reading the vidu on Yom Kippur for 50 years you've been reading it they gave it to you in Hebrew and English what's your excuse you know everything they don't so he's gadol mimcha. In that sense, he's greater than you. Savlanut. Savlanut, we learned last week, is to build the greatness. Takes step by step. But when you get to the top, you need savlanut. Because the world doesn't revolve around you. There are people out there that you need to help you need to teach. You need to respect. Because they're your obligation. We're here in this world not to live and let live. No. That's a terrible thing. If you walk out of this class and you're saying to yourself, oh, everybody's tzaddik, everyone's great. That's not the message. Live and let live is not the message. To each his own is not the message. We're here to live and help live. To help someone live, you got to respect them first. You got to see them as someone who's hashub. Why would I invest in a cat? I love cats. Actually, I don't. But even if I did, even if I did, I wouldn't invest my time in a cat because I can't make much of a cat. If you look at a human as someone who is below little, why would I invest in them? They're not worthy. But our job is to live and help live. You can't help someone live if you don't respect them, if you don't see the greatness inside of them. Ah, but they're doing this and they're doing that and they're not doing this. You're right. But they have still what to be respected for. And plus, you don't know where they come from. So therefore, you need savlanut. You just need 
to carry the difficulty till you have the chance. Do you need to throw stones? Maybe, but you have to know which kind of stones. When to throw the stone and to whom and in which situation. There are a lot of hashbonot. That's called sablanut. That has to do with helping others. We cannot help others if we don't have the sablanut to see their greatness and to see their potential and to wait for the opportunities that we will be able to help them. If we're going to open the oven every 10 seconds to see if it's hot, we're never going to get any person that we can help. We need to build. We need to respect. And with that sablanut, we'll be able to build our families, our children. We'll be able to build our friends and all the people that we care about. Baruch Allah Amen Amen.